Democratic Newspapers, published at the capital of South Carolina. The attention of the merchants, farmers, and heads of families, generally throughout the upper districts, is called to the many advantages to be obtained by subscribing for The Daily Phoenix. Published every morning, except Monday, at $4 for six months, $2 for three months. Tri-Weekly Phoenix. Published Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday at $2.50 for six months, $1.25 for three. Weekly Gleaner. A mammoth paper containing 48 columns of reading matter is published every Wednesday morning at $1.50 for six months. These papers are recognized as the central democratic organs and contain, besides political matter, the latest telegraphic intelligence. Markets and a daily summary of news from all parts of the world, interesting editorials on general topics, local matters, correspondence, news items, miscellany, stories, poetry, etc. Address Julian A. Selby, proprietor, Columbia, South Carolina. Our country exchanges are requested to give the above a few insertions. I flew the air with the greatest of A daring young man on the side Hi there. This is Hugh Yeeman, and you're listening to Historic Headlines, the podcast where we gain historical insight by examining newspaper articles from 50, 100, and 150 years ago this week. There's too much confusion. I can't get no relief. Hey there, and welcome to episode 24. I know, it's been a while. My wife and I moved, and that sucked up a lot of my time. I also have a deathly fear of microphones, so that tends to affect things. But the main reason is I've been researching. I've been researching Democratic barbecues of 1868. (sighs) Really, Hugh? You ask. That's what you got for me? After two months, that's what you got for me? Democratic barbecues. I know, I know. Just trust me. And if there's one episode where you want to click that link in the show notes and check out the images, this is the one. Go ahead, click that link. See that political cartoon at the top? Let's unpack this bad boy. I'm not going to describe the cartoon myself because the whole reason I went down this vast rabbit hole which opened up into a whole underground rabbit arcology is that while researching Samuel Sunset, Cox, I stumbled upon this one newspaper article which led me to this cartoon. I'll let that article speak for itself. The Evansville Journal, Evansville, Indiana, Thursday, September 24, 1868. The Political Situation Illustrated. Harper's Weekly for last week contains one of NAST's full-page illustrations entitled All the Difference in the World. There are two pictures, the first with its motto, The Odor of the Nigger, Republican, 
is offensive, shows in the foreground an Irish cabin marked Democratic Club, with an enclosure in which broken bottles, pigs, and half-dressed children are scattered at random, the proprietors of which are represented holding their noses at and turning their faces from a colored southern plowman outside the fence who is waving his hat and cheering at the sight of a church steeple and a schoolhouse with the Union flag above and a Grant and Colfax mass meeting around both. The second picture, with the motto, But below it, represents a new order of southern things, chattels. The Negro has become a man and a brother, voter. In an elegant hall lighted with chandeliers where the Negro is being entertained, the walls are hung with posters reading Democratic balls and barbecues every day and night. Colored voters everywhere are invited to attend. Seymour and Blair Club convince the Negro that we are his real friends, General Hampton. Seymour, the friend of the colored orphans. To the colored voters, stand by the men who nursed your sick and took care of you when you were little children. General Forrest, late hero of Fort Pillow, of your best friend. At the right, Governor Wise is lifting up his hands in priestly benediction, with a pocket handkerchief marked Hung John Brown. On the left, a grave and reverend African senior is mint-juliped at a table where Sunset Cox is discussing politics with his Abyssinian friend. In the foreground, two southern white ladies are the jewels pendant on the arm of a gallant buck, the other word will be understood, and there is a dissolving view, the melting together of equal social colors, of mixed society promenading into adjoining apartments. Last, but perhaps first, in the foreground also, a fine African gentleman is sitting and observing the company complacently through an eyeglass, while Wade Hampton, on his knees, is blacking his boots, shining him up, with an expression on his face which may be translated into that of the fetish worshipper. I know that he is ugly, but I feel that he is good. General Forrest, ticketed 290, has a painful look in front of his appeal on the wall. Hugh here. See? See? This is why I went down that rabbit hole. Damned if this is not some intriguing material. This political cartoon is dense with contemporary references, but one thing is clear. We're just weeks away from the presidential election of 1868, and Harper's Weekly is lampooning the Democrats for trying to garner the Negro vote. But how literally can we take this? It is a political cartoon, after all. It is highly representational. Are they saying that notorious Democratic and rebel figures such as Seymour, Cox, Wise, Hampton, and Forrest actually went stumping at political barbecues for the Democrats? Or are they just saying, hey Democrats, Look, these are the guys you've associated with. These are your guys, so don't try to act as though you're all friendly with the Negro. We know where your heart is really at. So, as you've probably come to expect from me by now, I started digging. It didn't take me long to find a bunch of northern articles about the Democratic barbecues in the South, 
but I didn't immediately find much in the line of Southern articles about the Democratic barbecues in the South. This seemed suspicious to me, and I started to wonder if it was a Starbucks cup thing. I know, you probably don't know what I'm talking about when I say Starbucks cup thing, so let me explain. A couple of years ago, when it came time for Starbucks to roll out their Christmas cups, instead of their usual snowmen and Christmas trees and snowflakes and such, that year's cups were red. Now, it wasn't exactly plain red. They did go from sort of a persimmon red on the bottom to a deep blood red on top. I actually really liked it. The point was that it was more or less just a plain red cup for the holidays instead of traditional Christmas symbols. And the story was that the Fox News watching conservative base lost their fucking minds over this, screaming that it was all part of the war on Christmas. But here's the thing. I didn't hear a single conservative complaining about the Starbucks cups. I heard a hell of a lot of liberals complaining about the conservatives complaining about the Starbucks cups, but I wasn't hearing the conservatives. And I realized something. This was a prime example of the media bootstrapping itself into a frenzy of sensationalism. See, here's how it happened. One dumbass conservative blogger posted a rant about the Starbucks cups and how they were waging a war on Christmas. The media latched onto that, a whole bunch of liberal outlets reposted it, and suddenly you've got this sensationalized account of all the conservatives who are complaining about the Starbucks cups when in fact it was just one guy. And before you know it, you've got a whole gaggle of liberals squawking about this vast bitching that the conservatives are supposedly doing, when in fact it was nothing but liberals bitching. And that's what I mean when I say Starbucks cup thing. It's when a little chunk of nothing gets bootstrapped into a thing by a combination of the media and our own insatiable desire to point to the other side and say, look, look how stupid they are. So in this particular case of the Democratic barbecues in the South, I started to think likewise. Maybe it wasn't a thing. Maybe it was overblown in the Northern imagination because they just loved to point and say, look how stupid they are. They think they can get the Negro vote by throwing barbecues. But that was just the first iteration. I went through several more iterations using different keyword searches, and what I found was stunning. This was no Starbucks cup thing. This was a real phenomenon. I found tons of articles on Democratic barbecues, and I want to make it clear, every article I'm about to read to you doesn't just mention Democratic barbecues. It specifically mentions Democratic barbecues in which blacks were included. I'm going to go in chronological order, starting with the first mention I found, which is from the New Orleans Crescent on April 8th. Democratic Campaigning Tour. A.W. Walker and Anthony Sambola, Democratic candidates for Representative 1st Congressional District and State Senator from this parish, will leave today on a canvassing expedition on the Lower Coast, visiting on the right bank Magnolia, Concession, Oak Point, Jesuit Bend, La Réussite, Myrtle Grove, Deer Range, Point Celeste, Roquillo, Burris Settlement. On the left bank, Orange Grove, Montplaisir, Old Courthouse, Bel Air, Monsecours, Bellevue, 
Point Alahash, and other places. The tour to close at Terra Abouf, where a grand barbecue is to be given on Sunday next to white and black. The barbecue is to be a grand affair. The planters have placed their horses and wagons at the disposition of their Negroes to enable them to attend. The two gentlemen will speak especially against the Black Crook Constitution. Hugh here. Black Crook Constitution referred to the Louisiana State Constitution, which would be up for a vote in just a couple of weeks. It included black enfranchisement, don't you know? So that was a Democratic paper from New Orleans. Let's cut over to a Republican newspaper to see how the Republicans spun Democratic barbecues. New Orleans Republican, April 9th. A brilliant enterprise. A Camp Street journal has sounded a small trumpet by way of preliminary flourish to a new missionary enterprise. It appears that A.W. Walker and Anthony Sambola were yesterday to set out upon a tour down the lower coast to visit some dozen points on the right bank and as many on the left, and finally to end the expedition at Terra Abouf, a place of succulent and savory sound, where a grand barbecue is to be given to black and white. This barbecue is to be a grand affair, says the trumpeter. Quote, the planters have placed their horses and wagons at the disposition of their Negroes to enable them to attend. The two gentlemen will speak especially against the Black Crook Constitution, end quote. We cannot but think that this is a lovely project. It is so nobly disinterested. There is such a fragrance of honest purpose breathing through it. Mr. Walker was long notorious as a slaveholder of the most bitter severity, and since the era of free labor has been famous for attempting to preserve the spirit of slavery under the guise of compensated employment. Mr. Sambola has earned the reputation of being one of the most active and unscrupulous among those of our local politicians whose only capital consists in their ability to plot against the rights and defeat the aspirations of the freedmen. If there are any men in Louisiana who would remit the colored people to bondage, if there are any men in Louisiana who would struggle to the last against impartial suffrage and equal rights, Walker and Sambola are the very men. Yet, with their hearts full of mourning for the dead domestic institution, with their lips still feverish with cursing of the freedmen who claim political privilege and the radicals who propose to confer it, they set out to speak especially against the Constitution, which is to secure impartial justice to all our citizens, and what they cannot do with logic they hope to effect by feasting. They are going to have a barbecue, to which the planters are to send their horses and their negroes to listen, we presume, to orators who class horses and negroes in the same category, and with presence of roast pig they are going, as they fondly imagine, to persuade the freedmen to give up their hopes of future justice and political privilege. 
Jacob bought the birthright of Esau with a mess of pottage, and these highly original Jacobs of the copperhead type presume that they can buy the birthrights of the freedmen of Plaquemines and St. Bernard with a tenderloin of pig. They will find themselves mistaken. The freedmen understand that the Constitution is to confer on them the rights of true manhood, and they will vote en masse for its adoption. We advise Misters Walker and Sambola to go out of the barbecue business. It will not pay. If they wish to practice deception for the purposes of personal profit, let them set up a snake show on the levee and lie in wait for the immigrant. Hugh here. That level of snark was representative of the Republican response. Now let's go back and hear a few more from the Democratic side. This is the New Orleans Crescent from June 12th. There was a Democratic barbecue at 4th of July Springs near Nachitoches on Saturday, which was participated in by white and black. Historic headlines will return after this message. The Weekly Gleaner a large eight-page journal of news, politics, literature. An excellent paper for country reading. It's politics democratic in the great fight against radical usurpation to the people of the South. The Weekly Gleaner, devoted to the rehabilitation of the South in its former prosperity is offered to subscribers at the low rate of $1.50 for six months. The annals of the American Republic show no political campaign comparable in the magnitude of its issues and the momentousness of its results to that for the presidency now pending. Indeed, the very life of free government is on trial, and it will be a sad commentary on the capacity of the people for the exercise of that high trust if they, the jurors who are to try the issue, pronounce a verdict of self-condemnation. If the South has any hope, it is in the success of the Democratic Party in the coming presidential election. And every citizen is vitally interested in the progress of the battle and cannot afford to be without a sound and reliable newspaper. As an organ, not only of sound democratic principles, but as a vehicle of general news, the Gleaner is confidently commended to Southern support. A large eight-page paper of 48 columns filled with the contributions of able correspondents, the daily wealth of telegraphic communication, and readable editorials. Especially will it be valuable as an organ to disabuse the northern mind of the falsehoods in relation to southern thought and actions, with which it is the industrious vocation of certain parties to poison the springs of northern feeling on southern subjects. In this view of the matter, no more valuable aid to the true reconstruction of the country and restoration of just sentiment at the north toward the south can be rendered than by subscribing to the weekly gleaner and sending it to the acquaintances and friends in the northern states. We ask the aid of such of our political comrades as shall see this prospectus in the distribution of the paper, especially during the progress of the impending campaign. 
The Weekly Gleaner is published every Wednesday morning and mailed to single subscribers at $3 per annum. Six months, $1.50. Three months, $0.75. Single copies, $0.10. Sample copies will be sent on receipt of address. Money for subscription should be sent in drafts or post office orders, but may be sent in a registered letter. Write your address, post office, county, and state plainly. Julian A. Selby, Proprietor, Phoenix and Gleaner, Columbia, South Carolina. We now return to our program. Dig this breathlessly effusive piece from the Louisiana Democrat of Alexandria on July 15th. Another barbecue! The democracy moving! Good speeches and good work by the colored Democratic orators. At three days' notice, the democracy of Bayou Rapides and Cotille got up a Democratic jubilee at Lamoth's Bridge, 12 miles from this town, and like all other Democratic gatherings inaugurated recently in Rapides, proved a useful and decided success. The barbecue at Lamoth's was given principally for the benefit and entertainment of the freedmen of that neighborhood, who have been blinded, deluded, and deceived into the meshes of the radical carpetbag association of this parish and up to a very few weeks would not listen to anything a Democrat would desire to communicate to them. Sullen and distrustful of the white man, it was impossible to catch their ears for a single moment. This was radical teachings and carpetbag tactics, which answered for their day, but, like all other frauds and cheats, have played their parts and are now vanished. A great change has come over the Negro of Rapides, and now he will listen to you, talk with you, and what is far more practicable and encouraging, he will act with you, and plainly begins to discover who butters his bread, who is his friend. But to the barbecue and its orators. At an early hour, large crowds of whites and blacks assembled under the fine grove, and soon the democracy were down to their work. The Honorable W. L. Sanford was announced as President of the Day and soon introduced the speakers. The first orator was Scott Gordon, the next W. H. Mills, Jr., and the last E. V. Pearson, all three colored. As our people have on several occasions heard and listened with attention to Gordon and Pearson and are fully aware of their merits as good and effective speakers, always accomplishing much and substantial good to the Democratic Party, we will content ourselves in remarking that their last speeches were fully in keeping with their former efforts, and again have we to thank them for the fruits they are gathering for the democracy. W. H. Mills, Jr., whose recantation of radicalism we publish elsewhere, made his first appearance on this occasion in behalf of principles he has recently become convinced were right, and from all accounts this maiden effort was a highly creditable one to him, and stamps him as a good and effective stump orator. He was listened to with much attention by the freedmen who but a few days before knew him as a leader in the party whose tenets and doctrines he was attacking. 
that his speech did much good is to say the least in its praise, and it is to be desired that the democracy will avail themselves of this conversion and make good come out of it. Mills may rely on a cordial support from the democracy of Rapides, and we hope he will not be deterred in his new faith from the threats and idle boasts of his recent radical confrères. Poor deluded fools! They will soon open their eyes and curse the radical party and its infamous teachings, worse than the seven plagues of Egypt. Let him bear with them a little while, laugh at their folly, and all will end triumphantly well in November. In closing, we must not forget to compliment the committee on the good dinner served to the assembled crowd, and once more make honorable mention of a decent and well-behaved assembly, meeting to assert their political rights and resolve to maintain them. Again, we repeat, the democracy of Rapides have painted for the war in November and are moving in solid columns. Rapides is once more in earnest, once more wide awake. Hugh here. Sticking with July 15th, we find another enthusiastic account, this time of a pair of Democratic barbecues. This is the southwestern of Shreveport, Louisiana. Democratic barbecues in Rapides Parish. We rejoice to hear that the democracy of Rapides have entered with spirit upon the campaign. If our friends of the city of New Orleans and Orleans Parish will but emulate the energy of the country parishes and give us the majority which we have a right to expect, we can promise them the most gratifying results in the country parishes throughout the state. Meantime, let all of our citizens emulate each other in the good and holy work of our political redemption, and let each citizen count that day lost in which he has done nothing for the cause. The following account of recent barbecues in Rapides assures us that our efforts will not be rendered fruitless by the inactivity and neglect of duty on the part of other parishes, says our cotemporary of the Louisiana Democrat, published at Alexandria in its issue of July 8th, the democracy, since our last report of their doings in Rapides, have had two barbecues at which a goodly number of converts pledged their faith and future efforts in behalf of the Democratic Party and their candidates at the approaching November election. The first of these jubilees occurred at Cotille on last Wednesday, at which were present a good crowd of spectators, among whom were fully 100 colored persons. The speakers were E.V. Pearson and Scott Gordon, the colored Democratic orators from Baton Rouge, who acquitted themselves, as usual, handsomely and with perfect satisfaction to the attentive audience. Forty-one names of colored folks were added to the Democratic Club, which now is a fixed institution at Cotille. The second barbecue took place at Le Compte, in the Grove, on Saturday, the Glorious Fourth. The crowd there was larger than at Cotille, and the enthusiasm and good effect of the gathering was marked and will be of lasting and substantial benefit. The speakers were Captain White, Pearson, and Gordon. The speeches were listened to with much attention and were plain-spoken, truthful, and to the point. 
Too much credit cannot be allowed. Our Bayou Boof friends for the fine and sumptuous repast served to the Democratic gathering on that occasion. The radicals, as usual, made Herculean efforts to prevent the Negroes from attending, gave an opposition barbecue, and started the silly report of poisoned meats. But the freedmen could not see it, attended in crowds, listened with attention, eat heartily of the fine beef and mutton, and what is still better, joined the Democratic Club. In a word, both gatherings were well gotten up and were decided successes, and plainly show the reaction has commenced. The ball is in full motion, and a grand triumph is in reach of the democracy of rapides in November. Hugh here. Check out this ebullient and, spoiler alert, absolutely horrible account of the colored democracy of rapides. Happy and contented colored folks and Radical Darkies from the Louisiana Democrat on July 15th. In earnest, it is no use any longer disguising the fact, patent to all, that the colored democracy of rapides is now a fixed institution, alive, wide awake, in real dead earnest, and with a local habitation and a name. Not content with the Lamoth barbecue, they got up a ball, a rousing ball, on last Saturday night. They were gratified and honored by the proprietor of the Ice House, placing at their disposal the fine and large ballroom in his hotel. We must candidly admit that this element of the Democratic Party of Rapides is far ahead of any new organization we ever witnessed before in our parish. Their ball was really a well-gotten-up and handsome affair. The room was decorated, and the reunion was truly a handsome one of happy and contented colored folks. And right well did all seem to enjoy themselves. The room was crowded with both sexes, among whom were a few radical darkies who accepted the invitations extended to them and did not make jealous fools of themselves and refused to accept the freely extended hospitality of their political rivals. As usual, the leading radicals kicked up all sorts of antics at this democratic jubilee and resorted to their usual tricks and lies. But they could not come it over most of their allies. The president of the radical club, who is a bigot with little or no sense, spread himself in opposition to the ball, but he too had to back down and hear in his disgust the progress of the colored democracy. A young lad of about 15 summers, a relative of this radical president, expressed a wish to let him go, but the black president came down with a stout radical no, and told him he must not attend such an affair, for to say the least of it, it would cost him a dollar. The youngster could not see it, however, and left his radical relative with the determination to post himself on the dollar question. He walked off to the ice house where, accosting an enthusiastic friend of ours, a white man and a Democrat, he begged of him to set him right about the ball. He was soon told that it would cost him nothing and welcome at that. Our young darky brightened up, started off in a double-quick to the house of his radical relative, and related to him, 
what he had learnt, and that he believed it, and he was gwine to the Democratic ball. This roused the radical ire of the radical president, who told our darky chap he should not go and that he could not get his clothes. Our chap did not tarry long with his radical relative, but returned to the ice house, where he again met our aforesaid friend to whom he recounted his sad fix. This supposed sad fix of the darky chap was soon turned into a happy and merry fix. Our aforesaid friend took charge of the darky chap, and in less time than we write it, he rigged him off in a complete and elegant suit, from head to foot, that would grace any ballroom. Reader, you should have seen our young darky strut into the room and advance and whirl around to the good music, the balance of that night. He was the observed of all observers and enjoyed himself to his heart's content and says, though he is too young to vote, he intends from this out to talk and work against the radicals and dance at all the democratic balls. Hugh here. Now we're going to look at some more snark from the other side. The New Orleans Republican, July 18th. Note that it's a Republican paper reprinting an entire article that is just thrilled about colored Democrats. So, just like today, you have a liberal article that's nothing more than a reprint of a conservative article with a little intro just to get the reader into look how stupid the other side is mode. Nachitoches Parish. The Nachitoches Times is in ecstasies about colored Democrats and says, Our friends at Clutierville had a rousing barbecue on the 4th. Dr. Scruggs made the opening speech and was followed by Mr. Tucker. Mr. Drangwet then spoke in English and French, and Colonel D. Pearson concluded. There were about 250 persons present, of whom 60 or 80 were colored. The speeches were attentively listened to and frequently applauded. At half-past two o'clock, a bountiful dinner was ready, of which all partook without the fear of short rations. For the excellent style in which this barbecue was conducted, the people are indebted in no small degree to the exertions of Mr. Landry Charleville, whose industry and patriotism are deserving of the highest credit. All right, Shreveport, July 22nd, Democratic Barbecue at Jonesville, Texas, large and enthusiastic meeting of the democracy. Uh, The colored people turned out in large numbers, over 300, while the planters and owners of the soil were represented by some 250 of their number. Many fair ladies graced the scene. Hugh here, continuing with another article from the same issue. Greenwood Barbecue, the barbecue given at Greenwood last Saturday by the Democratic Club of Ward No. 2 for the purpose of ratifying the nomination of Seymour and Blair, was a complete success. The gathering, about 900 persons, white and colored, embracing citizens from all portions of the parish, was the largest and most enthusiastic assembly that we have had in the country since the surrender. The barbecue was well gotten up, the eatables cooked in a superior manner, and ample accommodations for all. And they make a bunch of resolutions about the Democratic platform, one of which says, Resolved. 
that we renew our declaration as often heretofore made to do entire justice to the colored men, now forever free, and to secure them in all their rights, and to advance them in the improvement of their capacities. And then the article goes on and on and on for columns with speeches from Democratic politicians, and then, The meeting then adjourned, and the vast audience went in search of the feast that was ready for them. A heavy rain came up and damaged their ardor, but it could not prevent the gathering from being a great social and political success. The marshal and his assistants seemed to be ubiquitous, and the committee in the arrangements were untiring in their efforts to make every wheel run smoothly. On August 6th, there's a seven-column article in the Charleston Daily News. I won't read all the speeches, I'll just read the bits about the gathering and the barbecue. As you listen to this particularly vivid and enthusiastic narrative, I want you to pay attention to one name. Wade Hampton. Yep, that's one of the names that figured prominently in that All the Difference in the World political cartoon around which I've built this episode. And believe me, we're going to do a deep dive into old Wade later. The Campaign. The State Democracy Awake. Grand Rally at Aiken. Hampton's Speech in Full. Addresses by Aldrich, Butler, Finley, Hilliard, Humans and others. Manly letter from the Honorable James B. Campbell on Negro suffrage. Speeches of two freedmen. Incidents of the barbecue. From our special correspondent. Aiken, South Carolina, August 4th. The good people of Edgefield and Barnwell may pat themselves on the back and say, Well done, for they have witnessed in the pretty little village of Aiken a democratic demonstration that would have done honor to Charleston or Columbia, and which is probably the most enthusiastic and influential political meeting that has been seen in the country districts since the close of the late unpleasantness. There was eloquence for the thirsty soul and mutton unlimited for the hungry mouth. Barbecue meats and eulogies of Seymour and Blair strove for precedence, and the vigorous onslaught made by the Edgefield democracy upon the good things of the day is a happy omen of the energy with which they will advance their banners in the great fight of November. Every man, woman, and child in the district of Edgefield seemed to be upon the ground, and with them were representatives from picturesque Augusta, thriving Atlanta, struggling Charleston, and Negro-blessed Columbia. The neighboring districts sent in their contingents of representative men and graceful women. Many traveled gladly thirty and forty miles, attracted by the magic names of Wade Hampton, Aldrich, Wright, and Father Ryan. The result was a cheering, swarming, eager, and patient crowd, which was determined to show its faith by its works and prove that it was prepared to go heart and soul into the contest, whose foregone conclusion if we are true to ourselves, is victory for Seymour and Blair. How the crowds came to the places of meeting, no mortal can tell. There were the usual groaning ox carts, dilapidated buggies, and springless wagons. 
There was the customary straggling regiment of male and female cavalrymen, both white and colored. There were the well-known varieties of horse, donkey and mule, from the snorting charger to the worn-out quadruped whose heaven of much fodder and little work is nigh. But hundreds must still have come afoot, or dropped from the clouds, many of the fair sex bearing on their heads knots of blue that would seem to indicate a celestial origin, or, at least, a larceny of some convenient cloud. There were old men and young men, young girls and their beau, old soldiers and young America, veteran politicians and beardless boys, the whole forming a grand sight to all who are interested in the future well-being of the country. No one, indeed, would have thought that our population was sparse, and our commissioners of immigration, had they been present, would have felt tempted to suspend their labors." The Stands The stands were erected in a small grove on the edge of the village, one being retained for the white speakers and the other for the colored men. They were decorated with United States flags and evergreens, the seats for the ladies being in front of the main stand. A hundred yards or so to the right were the pits, where nos moutons were broiling, filling the air with savory odors. All around the stand were banners and transparencies, some of which were quaintly conceived and bore a telling device. The Procession When the Augusta train arrived, with its cars filled with excursionists, including a number of distinguished gentlemen, and the members of the Richmond County Georgia Democratic Club, the procession was formed in front of the hotel, the band being at the head. Minute guns were fired, and as the drums were beat, the procession moved off, the Aiken Democratic Club being in front. Then the people shouted, the horses pranced, the boys cheered, and the ceremonies of the day were about to begin. When the procession reached the stand, it was halted, and the reception committee and the distinguished guests took the places which had been prepared for them. Upon the stage were General Wade Hampton, Judge Aldrich, the Honorable W. H. Hilliard, and other prominent gentlemen. The ceremonies were opened with prayer by the Reverend Mr. Cornish, and Mr. Finley came forward and spoke as follows. Hugh here. I'm not going to subject you to that whole speech, so that's enough of that article. And here's a brief little bit of snark from a Republican paper, the White Cloud, Kansas Chief, White Cloud, Kansas, August 6th. Can such things be? The Democrats of Amite County, Mississippi, recently gave a grand barbecue to the Negroes for having voted the Democratic ticket. The toasts, speeches, and resolutions abounded in eulogies upon the Negroes, declaring that they were entitled to the thanks and gratitude of the democracy, and that they had showed themselves worthy to be placed upon a political equality and to have the full privileges and honors of citizenship. A number of Negroes were elected to office by the Democrats in that state. We would like to know if this is a white man's government. If so, what has become of the white man's party? Hugh here. On that same day, August 6th, there was an important article printed in the New York Herald, easily one of the most influential pro-slavery newspapers in the country. 
I'm calling your attention to this article because it was the one that made me start to see the Herald as something special. Of all the newspapers I've read doing my research, the Herald has the best writing. I know that's a subjective and vague term, but listen, you have to read it to understand what I'm saying. I've included a link in the show notes to the Chronicling America website. That's the Library of Congress's newspaper archive. I've included a link to browse the Herald's archives for 1868. You can easily switch to any year, any month, any day you want. Uh, The Library of Congress has a fantastic interface, and the scans are great. So if you have any interest at all in the history of journalism, check this out. Anyway, the Herald. Long articles spanning multiple pages, you would think that they would be unreadable, but they are lucid, they are engaging, the rhetoric is spot on, really nothing bad to say about these articles except the ideology that they service is just appalling. It's, it's, it's a tragedy, really, because, man, mwah, great writing. And what fascinates me at least as much as the quality of the writing is the tone. It comes across as a condescending, detached, liberal think piece, except all that rhetoric is applied to conservative ideology. That aloofness, combined with the fact that it's published in New York City, makes me think of the current conservative image of effete, out-of-touch, arrogant, elitist liberals. And it fascinates me to hear that tone in service of conservative ideas. All right, enough prefacing. Listen to this and note how it nails these three points. Number one, the Democratic barbecues represent the radicals getting their comeuppance. Number two, the radicals only wanted to use Negroes for their own selfish purposes anyway. And number three, the Negroes see that their best friends are their old masters and the white people among whom they were born, and with whom their interests are identified. Current of political sentiment and the presidential election in the South. An extraordinary and quite unexpected revolution is taking place in the political prospects of parties in the South. The radical leaders spread themselves over the southern states after reconstructing those states on the Negro basis to secure the votes of the newborn citizens of African descent. The first orators in Congress, both senators and representatives, left their seats and homes to stump the South and to control the Negro vote. A vast exodus of radical carpetbaggers left the North and principally the eastern states, spreading themselves over the whole South like locusts to secure the suffrages of the blacks, as well as the offices and the property of the whites. In fact, the northern radicals had it pretty much all their own way. The South was their political elysium. They had no doubt about controlling the votes of the Negroes, not only for their own elevation, but in the presidential election also. All the trouble between Congress and the President arose from the struggle to gain the Negro vote as a balance of political power, and the Reconstruction Acts of Congress were framed expressly for this purpose. In truth, nothing was left undone that could be done by all the means that an all-powerful party could use, and scarcely a radical in or out of Congress had any doubt of the result. But what do we see now? 
precisely what the Herald said long ago and all through would be the case, that in the end, the Negroes would go with their masters and the Democrats. From every quarter of the southern states, the fact comes to us that this is the case. A most thorough reaction is taking place. The press and almost all the correspondents from the South show this. Our private and most reliable correspondents inform us that every one of the ex-rebel states will be carried by the Democrats, that the Negroes are leaving the radical party by hundreds, that they are organizing colored conservative clubs, and that they are attending Democratic barbecues by thousands. Never was there a more striking example of the old saying that the best laid plans may be defeated. And why are the Negroes abandoning the radicals and going with their old masters and the Democrats? because they believe their interests lie that way, and because the southern whites know how to treat and control them better than the northerners. In their brief experience with northern adventurers, properly called carpetbaggers because the greater part of them were needy speculators without any property but the carpetbags they carried in their hands, the Negroes have seen that these men had really no sympathy with them and only wanted to use them for their own selfish purposes. They see that their best friends are their old masters and the white people among whom they were born and with whom their interests are identified. The northern carpetbaggers and orators have cheated and deceived them under the pretense of sympathizing with them and being their friends, and, as a natural consequence, they turn to the people who employ them and with whom their destiny is cast. What more natural? All this only shows how short-sighted the radicals in Congress and the radicals generally have been. Independent of party considerations and the immediate effect this reaction may have on the presidential election, it must be regarded as a happy circumstance, for if the Negroes and whites of the South act together, all fear of a war of races hereafter will be at an end. The employer and the employed will work together for their mutual interests and the interests of their common section of the country. One thing is certain, and that is that the radicals must change their tactics, cease their efforts to array one portion of the southern population against the other, and consider the interests of the whites and blacks of the south as identical, or they will have the whole of that section combined against them, both now and for all time to come. They have deceived themselves up to this time. We shall see whether they can retrace their steps or comprehend this most interesting political problem of the day. Hugh here. Sticking to that same day, let's hop back over to the Republican side for some more fine snark. Note that this is yet another example of a Republican newspaper reprinting a Democratic newspaper's article for their own shade-throwing purposes. The Wheeling Daily Intelligencer, Wheeling, West Virginia. Nigger Equality. What it costs to be a Democrat. The Macon, Georgia Telegraph publishes a letter from one John Dupree, a Negro whose address is Irwinton, Wilkinson County, Georgia, wherein the blacks are advised to vote the Democratic ticket. In commending the letter, the Telegraph says, quote, He gives the best of counsel and offers upon invitation to address the colored people anywhere in middle Georgia that may desire to hear him. 
Upon the first favorable occasion, we have no doubt the Democrats of this county will be glad to hear him, and will invite him to address a public meeting at Macon. We hope, in the course of the canvass, that the Democrats, white and black, will give us a good barbecue, where there shall be a plenty to eat of that which is good and wholesome, and then we shall hear all these matters talked over at our leisure. End quote. Ho, ye West Virginia Democrats, who are not willing to have your names written on the militia roll with a black man, lest he should be drafted instead of you, what do you think of this? Here are the chivalrous democracy of Georgia proposing not only to sit under the teachings of a nigger orator, but to eat out of the same dish and drink from the same bottle with niggers promiscuously. Remember, you are expected to do whatever your southern brethren do. Is this the program at the Grass Run Barbecue, Harrison County? Is this the feast Colonel Ben Wilson is preparing for the Harrison County chivalry? Uncle Gabe, at Clarksburg, ought to brush up his oratorial powers. He might be called on suddenly to go to Grass Run to make a speech. Who knows what Colonel Ben Wilson is up to? Do you want to marry a nigger? That's the momentous question now. No Democrat is considered up to the Georgia standard who cannot answer in the affirmative. Can such things be and overcome us like a summer's cloud without our special wonder? Hugh here. In this next article from August 8th, we hear about the poisoned meats rumor again. The Bossier Banner Bellevue, Louisiana, August 8th. Democratic Barbecue, Rocky Mount, Louisiana. There will be given a Democratic Barbecue at Rocky Mount on Wednesday, 19th August. White and colored Democratic speakers will be in attendance. A free invitation is extended to all persons, irrespective of color or previous condition, etc., N.B. There will be no poisoned meats on hand, though a little off-hand Dexter may perhaps be found after diligent search, due inquiry, etc. As such is quite demoralizing to radicalism, they are not required to search too vigilantly for the critter, but leave that unhealthy duty to proof Democrats, who will fire and fall back in accordance with established tactics. Historic headlines will return after this word from our sponsor. Saratoga Springs Water, from Congress and Columbian Springs, just received and for sale at Stanley's. And we're back. So what'd you think of that callback? You did notice that was a callback, didn't you? Yep, almost all the articles in episode 20 were from Saratoga Springs. I was surprised to find an advertisement for Saratoga Springs water in a southern newspaper while researching this episode. It just goes to show that even all this acrimony between North and South can't hold down the cachet of Saratoga Springs water. Now, moving on up to Philadelphia, we find the following in the Democratic newspaper, The Evening Telegraph, on August 14th. This is less snark and more trenchant invective. I would call this the definitive Republican piece. Sober and analytical, it's a good companion to the Herald piece. The Democracy and Negro Suffrage, 
it is a significant fact that while the democracy of the North are attempting to win votes for Seymour and Blair by bitter denunciations of the congressional system of reconstruction, and especially of the extension of the right of suffrage to freedmen, the rebels of the South are attempting in good earnest to deceive the Negroes and to convince them that the democracy are better and more reliable friends of the colored race than the Republicans. The spectacle is a curious one, and the tactics adopted worthy of the genius of unscrupulous and desperate politicians. The program is to carry the North by professions of intense hatred of the Negro, and the South by the most earnest protestations that he has suddenly become an object of the intense affection and admiration of his old oppressors. It is unnecessary to direct the attention of the citizens of the northern states to the frequency and persistency of the appeals of democratic orators and journals to the popular prejudice against the Negro. In many counties, they constitute the staple argument against the election of the Republican candidates and the allegation that Grant and Colfax oppose the destruction of the existing political system of the South is considered an ample reason for their defeat in November. In the South, a widely different policy has been adopted. The prediction of a sarcastic and witty politician that, if ever colored men were allowed to vote, the extreme partisans of the democracy would not scruple to boast, as an electioneering trick, that they had black blood in their veins, is being substantially realized. The warmth of this new affection is really astonishing, and as an offset to the many awkward antecedents which go far to prove, even to the most obtuse minds, its insincerity, there is not wanting an endless profusion of professions of ardent friendship and love. In Texas, the Rio Grande Courier admonishes its readers that we must show them we are their true friends, we must treat them with leniency, we must win them by justice and kindness. This task will be difficult enough to hardened slave drivers of the Legree stamp, but their extreme devotion to the interests of the Democratic Party will incite earnest efforts to accomplish it. The Democracy of Mississippi, at a recent meeting held at Yazoo City, pledged themselves in the most solemn terms not only to confer impartial suffrage upon all men, irrespective of color, but to respect, sustain, and protect all the newly acquired legal rights of the Negroes in every emergency. These professions of approval of Negro suffrage were accompanied by the compliment that the Negroes who voted with the democracy at the recent election deserve well of their country, and their services will ever be gratefully appreciated by all men who have a due regard for equal rights and constitutional government. And as a clincher to these promises and protestations, an irrefragible evidence and testimonial of esteem and goodwill was offered by tendering, on the part of the white democracy of Yazoo City to the colored democracy of that vicinity, a public barbecue on the fourth Saturday of August, 1868. 
Not content with flattering the neophytes, they are to be feasted by their loving democratic brethren, and preparations are being made for such a flow of congenial white and black souls as would astonish the benighted northern followers of the party, who are simultaneously taught that democracy is always and everywhere the same, and that the cornerstone of the organization, being no longer slavery, is now undying hatred of the colored race. In Louisiana, the Democratic Party treats its colored allies with equal affection and respect. The Alexandria, Rapids, Democrats boasts they have recently had a barbecue at that place also, and that the Democratic proprietor of a hotel placed at the disposal of the colored democracy a fine and large ballroom where the new alliance was duly celebrated by appropriate Terpsichorean festivities. The Thibodeau Sentinel commences a political article designed to swell the ranks of Seymour and Blair with this stirring appeal. Colored democracy of La Fourche. Wake up, organize your clubs, and with the aid of our good citizens go to work and secure the exercise of your rights. The Iberville, Louisiana, South, announces that a colored democratic club is about to be organized at that place, under the auspices of the leading Democratic white citizens. A systematized effort is being made by the Seymour and Blair leaders to organize Democratic freedmen clubs at various points throughout the state, and the Democratic journals boastingly allude to the success which is crowning this scheme. In Alabama, several colored Democratic clubs have already been formed, and Joseph E. Williams, the colored Democratic delegate from Tennessee to the Tammany Hall National Convention, is stumping the state for Seymour and Blair. Other colored Democratic orators who are speaking in Alabama have awakened the intense admiration of rebel journals, and especially one Uncle Sandy Cameron who completely won the hearts of his new political associates by his denunciation of the carpetbaggers, which concluded with the magnificent peroration that he had rather be lathered with aquaforcia and shaved with a handsaw or live on piles hewed out with a broad axe than to be left in the hands of such a set of scalawags. This display of Southern rhetoric has rarely been equaled and never excelled in the rebel journals, and they display their usual acumen in admiring and extolling so fine a specimen of their favorite style of political invective. In other Southern states, similar movements have been made by the democracy. Enslaving the Negro as long as they could, they do not hesitate now to seek political power by deceiving him in the South and by denouncing him in the North. Hugh here. All right, let's crank through a few of these. August 15th, Memphis, Tennessee, the rally at Grand Junction. The mass meeting and barbecue at the junction yesterday was a grand affair and passed off to the perfect satisfaction of all interested. Some 1,500 persons were present, many of whom were from this city. Addresses were delivered by Honorable William T. Avery, John F. Harris, colored, Major Upshaw, Daniel B. Wright, Esquire, Joe Robinson, colored, and several other orators. Hugh here. 
On the same day, August 15th, in Chicago, the Tribune ran the following piece. It's a good example of a measured northern perspective. Note that the name Wade Hampton comes up again, along with Horatio Seymour. Seymour's Black Supporters An Atlanta correspondent of the New York Herald declares that Colored conservative clubs are forming all over Georgia that five or six free barbecues are held every week under the management of the State Executive Committee, in which from five to 15,000 Negroes take part, and that, very ludicrous to think of, as it may be, at these gatherings any quantity of edibles are consumed, the Negroes meantime burying for Seymour and Blair and groaning for the radical ticket and party. This sanguine copperhead predicts that 40,000 of the 96,000 colored voters of Georgia will vote the ticket, supported by their former rebel masters, which will be enough to secure the electoral vote of the state to Seymour. The same result is predicted upon similar grounds in South Carolina, where, as the report of a meeting at Aiken, published yesterday, shows even Wade Hampton fraternizes with colored copperheads and vies with them in the ardor of his appeals to his colored hearers to vote against the party which has given them freedom and in favor of the party which purposes to remand them to an inferior, if not to a servile, condition. At Demopolis, Alabama, a similar spectacle was presented, four white and six black speakers addressing the colored men from the same stand and urging them to vote for Seymour and Blair, and the Telegraph reports that colored men took part in the Seymour demonstration at Mobile two or three nights ago. In Louisiana, North Carolina, Tennessee, and Texas, movements of a similar character are on foot. In Mississippi, as the result of the election showed, the colored supporters of the rebels' ticket are numerous, one reason, doubtless, being that the democracy there, as well as the Republicans, promise impartial suffrage, irrespective of color. It is impossible at this distance to say whether the statement at the Aiken meeting by Pleasant Good, to the effect that everybody regarded a pure Democrat, of African descent, like himself, as a curiosity who ought to be exhibited in a menagerie, or the boasts of the rebel organs come nearer the truth. But the evidence all goes to show that the white democracy, from the dismal swamp to the Rio Grande, are putting forth every effort to secure the colored vote to Seymour and Blair. The same electioneering appliances are employed for the purpose that are used elsewhere to mislead the ignorant. The mind is acted upon through the stomach, the prejudices, and the passions. But the significant circumstance is that the Negro is recognized, by those who used to buy and sell him like a horse or a mule, to be a person possessing a mind to be acted upon. Most of those who court his assistance in the election of Seymour mean, no doubt, to deprive him of the right of suffrage in case they secure a triumph through his exercise of it, but they can never succeed in such a nefarious project. Nor is it likely that they will deem it for their interest to do so, after they come to comprehend the effect of disfranchisement upon the representation of their several states in Congress under the 14th article of the Constitution. 
The status of a Negro as a citizen, with all the rights of a citizen, is henceforth assured. It is of much less consequence for whom he votes than that his rights to vote should be unquestioned. That, established, the battle is already won. Now, moving forward a day to August 16th, we're going to look back in on the Daily Phoenix of Columbia, South Carolina. I'm only going to read you the bits about the barbecue. I'm going to save the juicy racial rhetoric for next episode. Oh, one other thing. Pay attention to the mention of a special train. The way political parties use the new railroad system is going to be a recurring theme. The Richland Democracy in the Field Barbecue at Pisgah Church. As announced in the Phoenix, the residents of the Lightwood Knot Springs and Pisgah Church neighborhood provided a barbecue yesterday to which a general invitation to white as well as colored citizens was extended. Several hundred Colombians were conveyed by a special train over the Charlotte Railroad to the Lightwood Knot Springs Station a short distance from which was located the country church known as Pisgah. A joint committee of the two Democratic clubs of that vicinity, under the lead of Captains Sy, Kinsler, and Stack, made the necessary arrangements, and eminently successful they were, too. The crowd, having collected around the stand about half-past ten, Captain Kinsler called the assemblage to order requested them to make themselves as comfortable as possible, and then announced that several gentlemen would address them on the political situation. He then introduced Colonel J.P. Thomas of this city. Hugh here. Tune in next time for that speech. For now, we're moving forward to August 17th and back to the New York Daily Herald. There is a very active Democratic campaign in New Orleans. Ten or twelve black and white Clubs meet every evening, and mounted and foot parades with banners and transparencies are of nightly occurrence. Three hundred Negroes joined the Democratic Club at a barbecue recently given at Mount Lebanon, Bienville Parish, Louisiana. Hugh here. Moving forward to August 25th, we check in on the Chicago Daily Tribune, which is in full snark mode. Arkansas is reconstructing with a vengeance. Hardly seven months since, her Democrats consecrated themselves, in high powwow of the whole state, to the sacred dogmas of the white man's government. But times change. Now the Democrats of Arkansas invite their colored friends to barbecues at which the niggers are to have precedence. Somebody having put in circulation the report that a roast ox provided for colored persons at a certain barbecue was to be poisoned as a convenient mode of getting rid of Negro voters, the Committee of Arrangements, in order to nail this lie, offer the choice of tables to the colored persons, or, if that is not satisfactory, alternate seats, a white man each side of a Negro, if, in fact, the offer to divide places does not mean promiscuous eating out of one another's plates. We have not heard whether the darkies are disposed to fraternize with the Confederate Democrats on the basis of promised pork pie and corn dodgers. It is possible that the Negroes may have other objections to Democratic company than that of poisoned meats. Hugh here. Here's another article from that same edition of the Tribune which calls out the hypocrisy of the Democrats. 
Eating Off the Same Plate from the Little Rock, Arkansas Republican, August 20th. On the 17th of January last, not yet seven months ago, the Democratic Party of Arkansas, through a state convention representing nearly every county in the state, pledged itself to the following declarations of principles. First, a white man's government in a white man's country. Second, the incapacity of the Negro for self-government. Third, exclusion of Negroes from an equal participation in making the laws and from the rights and privileges of social equality. The foregoing is a fair representation of democratic principles. The following is a fair representation of democratic practice. Barbecue at LaGrange Thursday, August 13, 1868 Come one, come all, both white and black. As the infamous lie is in circulation that the meats for colored persons will be poisoned, we nail that radical trick to the counter by offering choice of tables to our colored friends, or we will divide places with them. H. N. Hutton, Paul F. Anderson, J. B. Brandon, Committee. Helena, August 10th, 1868. The foregoing is an exact copy of a handbill placarded through the streets of Helena and the crossroads of Phillips County by the Democratic Party of that county. They propose to our colored friends not only the choice of tables at their white man's barbecue, but they go so far as to divide places with them. That is to say, alternate seats, so as to have a negro between every two white men, and a white man between every two negroes, and each to eat promiscuously out of the other's plate. We confess that, like the man who had his apple cart emptied at the top of a hill, we are unable to do justice to the case by any comments it is possible for us to make. We leave it, as Judge English does the test oath, for every man to decide for himself what ought to be said or thought of this new phase of democratic consistency. Hugh here. On that same day, if we check in on the New York Herald, we find them being a particularly hopeful cheering section for the Democrats. Prospect of a September Session of Congress the present aspect of things in the reconstructed southern states is decidedly democratic. The Negroes are rapidly deserting the radical for the democratic camp. Democratic barbecues are bringing over the blacks by thousands with their convincing arguments of roast pig, roast lamb, roast beef, roast ears, corn pone, and corn whiskey. For these first principles are, to a great extent, irresistible with the plantation nigger. The Southern Democratic whites are accordingly making a vigorous campaign of it because they feel sure of the Negro balance of power in nearly every reconstructed state. The Southern white managing radicals, or carpetbaggers, are correspondingly depressed from the democratic drift of a large balance of the Negro vote. Accordingly, the new radical senators and representatives in Congress from the reconstructed southern states are moving heaven and earth for a September session of Congress in view of some assistance to their radical state authorities from Washington. They say that a reign of terror prevails against the poor, ignorant blacks, 
that the Ku Klux Klan will, if left unchecked, show them no mercy, that all the arms in the southern states are in the hands of the disloyal whites, and that the state authorities will be powerless to protect the blacks at the polls unless furnished with arms by Congress. To the applications already made by Southern governors for arms, the Secretary of War has responded that under the existing laws he has no authority to furnish arms. It is probable, therefore, that these appeals from the Southern carpetbaggers will result in a September session of Congress, and it is probable, too, that some legislation will follow to strengthen the radicals in the South, which will weaken them in the North. Hugh here. Now here's perhaps the drollest bit of snark. August 26th, New Orleans Republican. Colored Democratic Club. A friend rushed into our office last night and informed us that he had found that which is equal to a needle in a haystack. He had seen a Democratic colored club and an Irish know-nothing, the first named anomaly being then close by in St. Charles Street. Desiring to see so strange and singular a sight, our reportorial toes walked to the front, and our sight was bewildered in beholding seventeen uniformly irregular men, and we longed for their biographies. They did not create a sensation, but as they passed the Republican, they could not resist paying natural and voluntary attention to us. Most of the little band saluted this office. The Innocents these lambs were parading last night in full uniform, and they only lacked masks to make it Mardi Gras. About 400 were in procession, disposed in imitation of regular United States soldiers on a march. White caps, red shirts, black pantaloons, and large white capes, by the glare of many torches, produced a motley sight. Each cape bore a red Maltese cross trimmed with gold. The marshals were mounted, booted, and spurred, and would have passed muster in the Moorish Wars of Spain. As a body of men, the club made one of the best shows given by the Democrats this season. Mr. Sambola was with them on foot, but he had no uniform. Our reporter did not recognize his witnesses. Hugh here. So that was about an hour's worth of Democratic barbecues, and I'm just getting started and I haven't even touched those articles which give speeches from those specific characters mentioned in Nast's Harper's Weekly political cartoon, All the Difference in the World. Stay tuned. Thanks for listening, and until next time, seek context. This is Hugh Yeeman, and you've been listening to the Historic Headlines Podcast. Thanks, as always, to Tom Trinisky for all his fabulous work on FultonHistory.com. Without his free repository of old newspapers, this podcast wouldn't exist. Oh, he'd fly through the air with the greatest of ease. A daring young man on the dying trapeze. His movements were graceful, the girls he could please. And my love, he's stolen away.